we've been talking about carbon capture for 30 years. Like this is not a new concept. We've we've been using floods in our oil production, you know, enhanced oil recovery for for decades. Um, but we haven't had the price signal to make it happen at the scale that will have the kind of impact we're looking for in terms of reducing the amount of emissions that go in the air. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Ms. Carol Ann Brown. How are you doing, Carol Ann? Great. Thanks. How are you, Tyler? I am so good. We've been chit-chatting away here, as I often do. Forget to push record. No, not at all. Um, so fantastic to have you on the show. President at the Delphi Group. So before we even set the stage, let's jump in the quick pitch elevator. Um, what is the Delphi Group? Delphi Group is a boutique management consulting group that focuses on sustainability and climate change. It's been around since 1988. Ooh. And we have a vision of working towards a sustainable, prosperous, and socially just future in a generation. Okay, whoa, all right. I need to get faster on my note taking. There was a lot of keywords. First of all, for 1988, is that to safely say before it was cool? Is that a, is that a safe statement? Totally. It okay, was way, not way cool. ahead. It was, it was way ahead of the curve. And there's been, I guess, waves of sustainability or climate yeah. change being cool. And now I think it's here to stay. Okay. And when, when did that when did that penny drop? Was that in the last five years, last couple of years? Like, where are we in that here to stay? Are we a couple of years into that cycle? Yeah. So maybe two and a half, three. So we started getting visibility on more groups, more organizations committing to net zero just mm -hmm. a bit before the pandemic. And then through the pandemic, it was like everyone and their dog was jumping on the bandwagon of creating a net zero target. And this has created, uh, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know what the data is right now, actually, but it's probably you know, in the thousands and thousands of large multinational corporations who have net zero targets, over 80% of uh, national um, governments have net zero targets. Um, yeah, uh, so it's created the a demand for or perceived demand for uh, services in this area that has not not been there ever since I've been part of this kind of work, which is over 20 years. By services, do we really just boil it right down to like how? Like we've set this, we've set these goals now. We've set these numbers that are out there, which we're going to talk about in a minute because they're floating around. And I'm a marketer, and I love a good headline. And sometimes, is policy leading reality? Is reality leading policy? Is your job to help people then understand actually how the hell do we do we meet these 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 lofty goals that we've now set? That's part of it, but it starts okay. earlier than that, right? Okay. It starts way early than that, and I can explain that if you want. Please do. Okay, but so. Let's just give a scenario. So a multinational corporation sets a net zero target for what's a year, 2030? Do we like, I know where this Canadian one is 2050, but there's a 20, whole bunch 50. of ones floating around out there. Yeah. So would it, would, would your recommendation, and as a consultant, I'm going to guess that it might be that before we put out a number, we maybe should start talking to a group like yours when we go back to the beginning, right? Before we throw a number out on our, on our, on our, this is our corporate main objective here that we've put out as the headline of our, of our plan. Is that, is that, is that kind of where I'm going with that? Well, I mean, if uh, like large organizations, they may use some external parties for pieces of the puzzle, but large, large organizations, publicly traded organizations that have any kind of let's say greenhouse gas emissions, if we're just gonna talk about climate change, 
they have had to report them for a long time, at least in Canada and in many, many jurisdictions around the world, Europe, you know, Australia, uh, the U.S., lots of other countries. You, you, you don't get to just admit and not tell people, this is how much I'm admitting. And then in the last, you know, sort of 10, 15 years, there have been varying uh, extensive rigor on you need to reduce those emissions by how much you need to reduce them. Um, so you really start, you start with your inventory. You start with your, here's my <laughs> alphabet soup of greenhouse gases, I'm editing carbon, okay. methane, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then you report. From there, there's a whole bunch of steps in understanding, if I'm gonna set a target, what should that target be? What do I benchmark it against? And how do I get there? And you should do that before you actually set a target because there's gotta be some ability to get there. There's always a bit of, there's value to having what um, uh, Gord Lambert, famous guy in the, in the patch uh, in Calgary, would call creative tension. If you, if you don't know exactly how you're going to get somewhere, there's some added oomph to how hard you work and how creative you get mm -hmm. on getting to that goal, right? So they always leave a little bit of room for creative tension. Um, which is but, healthy, which is good goal setting. Goal setting done well should create that ultimately, yes. right? If you, if you cruise through the goal, there was, there's some would say you didn't set it aspirationally enough or you didn't push it enough. That's right. That's right. Do you get excited when you see these numbers and these companies putting out these goals and like, oh, by 2030 or 2025 or 20, whatever the case, whatever the 2020 is, or does, do you waver on optimism or concern around, are we setting realistic targets or are we jumping on maybe what can be said as a bit of a marketing PR bandwagon that's, that's going on? Good. And maybe, and we're going to say good intentions. We're going to just start with that. But for someone in your shoes, that's been seeing this in your organization, seeing it since the late eighties. Do you go, oh no, here's another wave and we're getting ahead of our skis here? Or you said here to stay, or do you have a little more optimism that we've got the technology and the know-how to make these goals a reality? Yeah, so um, you can't be in the business I've been your whole life without being optimistic. <laughs> nice. So I'm always optimistic, but I also know that um, over, across the world, in Canada, governments, organizations, we're better at setting goals than getting them, getting to them. And so, um, yeah, so there's, there's a mix of both. Um, I'm, I, the first step really is to make that commitment. Like we're gonna do it, we're, we're committing to doing it. Now we quickly have to follow up on how we're gonna do it. Because your first question is like, oh, do people come to you and ask you how to do it? And I'm like, well, not a lot of people have really articulated that sufficiently enough for us okay. to be really clear that we're gonna get there. Okay. So there's still a whole bunch of work on the how. So we have the what now? What? Okay, net zero by 2050. Now, some people are going to do it sooner. Some people are saying there's no way we're going to get there. Like China's net zero goal is 2060. Um, 2060. Yeah, it's 2060. Okay. Uh, will that change? I don't know. You know, they've been locking people in. So maybe that'll change somewhat. You know, whatever. Yeah, there are yeah. big pieces at play there. So in, in Canada, there are some areas where... Uh, I wouldn't say it's straightforward because you might know, okay, we need to change out this energy source. We need to put in these technologies. We need to uh, assume these behaviors. You can chunk out the steps. It is the the human inertia, the change management that is harder because you got all of your built infrastructure eventually that needs to be looked at differently and done differently. And we all need to act differently. Um, so the, the scale of the challenge is unlike we've attempted before. COVID was awesome 
uh, and had issues. And it's a great example of how do you put the common good in front of, um, of uh, you know, individual good, which fell down sometimes. It wasn't awesome in terms of it was a pandemic, but it was awesome. Yeah, in terms it felt of, like we had it a bit at the beginning and it felt like we kind of stumbled on that ball really quickly and it became something we else. Did. And then it, yeah. then it got, then we got into the mess. The, and it, the first six months felt like it was a coming together of, of, of humanity. Exactly. And then after that, it seemed to deviate. I'm, I'm picking six months as, a, as an arbitrary yeah. number. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, so as an, as a society-wide experiment of, can we actually do things for the common good than not? Eye opening. Yes, we can, mm. and no, then we don't want to. We only have a, a, a you know, a, a limited appetite for putting others before ourselves. Well, it became politicized really quickly, and I think this is already heavily politicized. <laughs> yes. So, so climate change, different and similar. Um, we are feeling the physical impacts of a changing climate already. The extremeness of so many different kinds of weather and events, and the frequency with which they happen. And the unpredictably unpredictability in, uh, of them happening—that's mm-hmm. um, classic. That's what you expect. And I always, for years, I was like, we shouldn't say call it climate change; we should call it climate disruption because it's it's going to disrupt what we expect. I like the, I really like those words because climate change, and I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit here because that's the fun of a, of a conversation like this. Climate change also implies a little bit that climate is changing and we are part of, we've caused some of that change versus disruption means, oh, things are just getting flipped on their head. And do we know and where's our impact versus our not? And what's the world going through its own cycle versus us releasing a whole bunch of carbon and causing that? And when you start that, are we, I'm only bringing this up because there is still those moments I talk to people like, well, who are we to think that we caused this? We're just along for the ride. I'm like, mm, I don't know. And I'm not an expert, so I'm always cautious there. Is that something in your space that we've now just like, we've set sail on that conversation that no, 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 we're taking responsibility for the things we clearly know that we're doing that are definitely not having positive impact. Is that just now a known? Or is there still some of that debate out there where people are quick to, and just some crowds, every once in a while running, someone will go, they'll, they'll question the whole concept of, of almost ego to think that we caused it and that we can fix it. So the, the science is 100% there. I mean, there's, it's irrefutable. Like we have, we have caused this and <laughs> yes, there's still debate. Every, there are, will always be, you know, people with an opposite view, uh, People who want to question what's in front of them, always. Uh, that's kind of human nature. Um, but yeah, there's there's and there's lots and lots of models. Like to the to the disruption point, there's lots of models who, that would predict the kinds of impacts we're seeing. Um, it's just to to the average person, to my to my parents, to my neighbors. When I say climate change, they're just like, well, yeah, the climate always changes. It's it's not an intuitive term to give a sense of the impact that it is already having, or even worse, it is going to have. Mm. Where climate disruption implies a much more like, whoa, I'm I'm now I'm I'm required to ask more questions because I'm concerned. Anything that's, hey, we're going to disrupt your life. Ooh, tell me more. How is that going to happen? What do I need to do to prepare? It's a, it's it's a great kind of reframe. Words are words are very powerful, aren't they? <laughs> they are very powerful. Just like, changing just changing that setup. Just that, because then the the imagery like naturally your brain will turn on to something different if you say change versus disruption, and mm. like disruption in a good way. Like <laughs> um, we were talking to some friends who were still in their garden in October. You know, and they were like, it was like, they were so happy. And I was sitting there going, I get that. Like, I, 
I want people to enjoy what they have when they have it because life is short, right? Of you should course. enjoy what you have when you have it. Um, it does feel like our weather's getting slightly better in Calgary. I've been here I've been here 20 years. It's improving. I'm not going to lie to you. It's improving. And I want to be so careful to say it because that's a very short-sighted. But it is. It's like, But to your point, in the moment that I'm experiencing the weather that I enjoy, it seems like I'm getting something better. <laughs> but, you know, to, to our, our, our friend's comment, like the snow is needed because we won't be able to grow grain the way we need to yeah. if we don't get it and get more of it. Mm-hmm. And we will have other kinds of problems if it doesn't get cold enough and things don't freeze. And 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 and, and so I understand the I like it warmer. I like it hotter in the summer. But the natural systems need to adapt and our physical systems that we've built for the climate that we used to have need to adapt. And mm. they you know, we build 30, 40, 50, 100 year infrastructure projects. Yeah. And they're not built for what's happening today, let alone what happens in 20 years or in 30 years. Yeah. How do you even start to take a bite out of that? Like that, like that, that, there's a whole, like there's multiple podcasts on the kind of the statements you just made when you think about uh, our reluctance to even seems to be able to do big capital projects and infrastructure projects in Canada and things like that. And you can kind of go down that road a little bit. But to your point, things that were built 30, 40, 50 years ago that were not built for today, let alone five years from now, whether it's our it's our energy grid or whether it's, and we'll get into energy as a topic of transition versus transformation. How do you even be, that, that feel right now, I just feel overwhelmed and insurmountable just even in this last little moment of what we're talking about right now of how do we even get ahead of that to have an infrastructure around us that can support where our climate's heading in the next five to 10, like quick, seemingly very quickly <laughs> in terms of the, the disruption. Yeah. So, um, you know, (laughs) where you start. uh, So years ago, I would say probably 20 years ago, provincial governments started thinking about how do we need to adapt? Right. So like the famous classic example is the bridge between New Brunswick and PEI. It was raised by a certain number of meters because of sea level rise and bigger storms. So 20 years ago. So, okay, that's a start. Uh, should we have built it in the first place? I don't know. Um, in a big, massive structure. Uh, how, did Fiona affect it? I don't think Fiona hit it, the hurricane, sorry. Um, it's like, I don't think my wife was involved, no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's name is Fiona. You caught, for a second, I'm like, Fiona, what? what? How was that show? I'm sorry. That was so funny. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> took me a second I, to catch up with what you were saying. I was like, wait, what? Sorry, you caught me there. <laughs> I know she's a force, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, uh, so okay, so so there are some things in the planning. What do we do? Well, we have great bigger insurance bills. Yeah, insurance companies and reinsurance companies were some of the first. Like one of our first clients, actually, in in ladies early nineties was um, Munich Re reinsurer in Germany. Around is climate change something we need to be worried about? Like. A long time ago, right? Have you been with Delphi all this time? Have you been there since the, <laughs> since just because the way you talked about it? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You mean when you know when I was in high school? Yeah, well, obviously when you were twelve, that's for sure. Fourteen, maybe a hundred percent. Sorry, I didn't do the math there at all. And now a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGM through becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. 
I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening. And now back to today's good old fashioned chat. How long have you been? How long have you been with Delphi? Uh, 12 years, but okay. I first, I first met our CEO in 2001. Okay. And I, I'll thank you for, s- thank you for clarifying. Yes. You and I, I are the same age. So I, in 88, you were 16. So I actually met him when I was doing my PhD. And I went, because I did my PhD on um, policies to commercialize wind power in China. Because I could. As one, because, as one, as one does, yes. As one does, because uh, I had the ability to, to go and, and really try to get to the bottom of how do you do this in a country that's going to be the biggest GHG polluter on the planet in a matter of years. It took over the U.S. in terms of carbon emissions in the last decade. I can't remember the exact year. And, but still had all these other issues. And uh, yeah, and I, um, a fascinating problem. Um, lots of good and bad things happening in that country. And was looking to understand what kind of job could I possibly get in Canada? Mm-hmm. And I found the Delphi group in 2001 mm-hmm. and started talking to them. Uh, For yeah, someone on I, your path with your passions and your education, it was probably a fairly slim offering at that point. Mm. Yeah, there weren't there weren't that many places. Um, so yeah, so I've been with them for twelve years. But no, I wasn't around in eighty eight when we we're doing the, re- the <laughs> thank re-thing. you for clar- thank you for clarifying. Yeah, basic math eluded me when I as I was asking that question. <laughs> so to go back, um, so uh, you know, government build into build into their planning and their construction adaptation to a certain effect. The finance and insurance sector look at it differently in terms of it's going to happen, how frequent is going to happen, what are the dollars you need to put aside, how does that flow through to insurance policies. Um, uh, you know, there's impacts on individuals in terms of uh, what, how do they need to adjust? So like, what do we need to do in terms of our own house building envelope? Uh, do we need to get more air conditioners? That's the impact on the electricity grid. More air conditioners now in Alberta than you've ever seen before. I'm gonna put, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put one in the spring because I finally just can't, it's just not, it doesn't cool off enough to balance it out. That's so funny you say that. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and uh, yeah. so <laughs> probably more snow. I think there, I've seen more snow in the city than when I first moved here. Okay. Uh, 18 years ago. As two fellow Montrealers, you think they're going to get their shit together on snow removal? But anyways, that's, uh, I find the snow removal process here atrocious compared to growing up in Quebec. <laughs> but that's because but that's always a perfect example. Yeah. for Chinooks. not a lot of snow and Chinooks. Yeah, 100%. No, totally. so I, I realize I'm a, I'm, that's a perfect example of like, well, the world has changed now and our budget doesn't, we've never budgeted for this. It doesn't fit. Mm. And, and, we don't, and we just keep thinking it's going to be the same weather despite the fact that we've declared a climate emergency. Yeah. I mean, the climate emergency is a, is, 
is a, is a good idea in order to set a tone for the conversation. And it's hard to manage in terms of all the other things that a municipality manages. Um, because, was that the right was that the right move of our new mayor when she came in to, to roll that out like I think in week one or week two? So was it the right move? I don't think right is is the okay. Please yeah. refra- reframe my question for me. <laughs> so it's not the right adjective for me. I think it was a well calculated uh, substantive move in terms of setting a tone. She set a tone with that. So I think Mayor Ninchy changed a lot of things in the in the city and 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 did so well and uh, you know no one's perfect politicians are going to have things that they you know focus on other things they do less of climate was not one of his priorities but he did lots of other great things she came in and set the tone of and we're building on that and climate is a priority and so that sets the tone for their own operations which i know they've been working on for years in terms of understanding where they could go because we were helping them. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's only one kind of information I like. It's the inside kind. <laughs> inside yeah. baseball, as they call it. Yeah, inside baseball. Because so, um, Ed, 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 Edmonton had done that a few years prior, correct? Like that was yes. not, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a precedent-setting move in Alberta. Like Edmonton had done it a few years prior, as I did a little yes. bit of research, because I did talk yes. to the mayor about this topic. So I was the like, all right, mayor? I got I to get into it. Mayor Sohi or Mayor Iveson pre No, 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 our, our, mayor in, our mayor in Calgary. Oh, yeah. 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 But as I was doing some prep for my conversation with her, I stumbled on that Edmonton had done this prior, which I found interesting because in all the media that was kind of going at this one, they never seemed to mention that. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, mayor, like Edmonton has like, and it's way further ahead on adaptation. Now, Calgary is doing some of the work, but it may not be as visible as what Edmonton has announced and and done. Um, So I think that what she, she did was an important step. I think Managing that along with all the other demands and pressures in a municipality is not easy, right? You still have people wanting the kinds of houses they want. They're going to build further and further out. The footprint on that, (laughs) the GHG footprint on that um, uh, is somewhat inconsistent with a climate emergency. How do you deal with all the different pulling and tugging from the and I would say the densi- I, I live in Marloop, not far from where you live, and the densification that's going on here right now as a, as a resident is annoying because we're a car city we're a people city like it's now becoming but they're densifying their their tax base they're putting up big multifamily stuff like i get it on both sides but then i also get how it in the short term or certainly in the day-to-day negatively impacts my lifestyle so i'm all supportive until all of a sudden i'm like oh there's nowhere to park on my street anymore because you just moved 80 people down a block from me that that before were four houses now there are 80 units or whatever yeah. the case the case may be and i know it's all part of that story but, but yeah so we're, the, we're all we're all we're all on board for it until it tips our lifestyle over <laughs> well and but it's going to tip your lifestyle until it gets to a place where we're asking for it then if you're going to make it hard for me to park like give me better transit give me make better it, options. make it easier for make me it to easier yeah. like so so there's it's not an like unfortunately it's not an immediate like there's there's a timeline between it's too much is too much too much and then something's got to give and something better comes along but that's that's got to be the answer it's like not everyone's got to own you know this massive SUV, like, are we getting smaller cars? Are we doing more car sharing? Are we doing better transit? Are we, what are all the things? Because Europe has enormously dense cities mm-hmm. and they manage it. They do. How do they manage it? More people are on bikes. More people are in smaller cars. More people are doing car sharing, much better transit. And it's, you know, we, 
because we have so much of space and so much of resources and so much and so much, so much, we don't automatically go to what would be the alternative. We go with what's easy. Yes, which is having a big SUV because you can fit all your stuff when you go on all your adventures. (laughs) So interesting. Um, Transformation or transition when we talk about energy? What's the word? (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Um, uh, So uh, I'll give you two sides of it. Um, I thought you might. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so bien sûr, mademoiselle. I'm a bit of an open book that way. So, um, so we've had this debate. I think the word transition is kind of stuck in the public realm. I think people feel like um, it it feels more comfortable because it's not abrupt. It's a we're going to shift over time and things will still be around while other things come up and we transition, right? Um, <laughs> I, liked, I like that so far. I'm liking that definition. So, and pe- so people feel comfortable with that term, okay. right? And that's fine. I mean, a transition, we're not off coal, but we've been transitioning from coal from 400 years ago for 400 years. We're still transitioning. Um, personally and corporately, we have played with the term transformation uh and we've we've had events where that's where we've um you know like our our convening events we've where we've turned termed it energy transformation because eventually that's what it that's what it needs to be eventually it's it's not we're trying to transition off of coal for 400 years eventually it's we're transforming our energy systems to not rely on fossil fuels we're transforming it to be configured differently so our electricity grids that are central generation to, you know, long distances of, you know, transmission and then local distribution, we're transforming those models into um, local uh, generation, local distribution, local use, local storage. So it's not just we're transforming the sources, we're transforming the models, the business models, the physical ways in which we produce, distribute and use energy. So, so in my mind, transformation actually represents the entirety of all the things we need to do better than, than the, the softer transition. But the world is, the world is on the word transition. That's but fine. Are, but, are, but don't, just in the way you talked about it, don't they almost have to exist simultaneously in the sense that we don't we don't get the privilege of just turning one off and turning one on because you know I also, I've often read or heard or sometimes feel this way it's great to have these conversations from a place of energy abundance I don't worry that my electricity is not going to work I don't worry that my house is going to be heated the whole world doesn't have that and we talk sometimes very idealistic like we'll just stop this we'll just stop fossil fuels and we'll switch to that and like well we're, we're, we're bearing down on a very cold winter in Europe right now because somebody turned off the gas to a certain, to a certain extent. So transition and transformation, I love the way you, you dichotomy those two, but don't they actually have to exist together? Which I know is so hard in modern day messaging because we got to pick a side. We need to pick a side here. We can't pick one. But it feels like they are joined at the hip, are they not? I hear what you're saying. Um, I, yeah, there is going to be a transition as we transform because we're going to move <laughs> off one thing. So totally. case in point, We've we've case in point we've we've applied to a financing and a, a Calgary um, set up to and government federal government subsidies to put solar panels on a roof. Okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna we're not gonna go. Okay, now we're gonna unhook 
from the local grid and uh, there we go. Enough. Right? No, we're going to we're going to have the ability to do both. It provides stability, it provides, you know, a backup blah 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 blah, right? So it's a transitionary process of let's use more solar, let's use less grid power, blah blah blah. So yes, I don't disagree that one goes with the other. I like transformation because it gives you again when you say the words like change and disruption it gives you a better visual of the end point yeah now which, which I like, I like I, I, yeah mm. i'm 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 the i'd be the first to say we cannot just switch things off we cannot just say okay no more oil and gas like it doesn't work that way our entire modern world is actually built around these energy sources totally and when I was in England, there was a fuel strike um, at one of the refineries, and they had blockaded it. And very slowly, over the course of two weeks, the the entire country ground to a halt because people could not drive cars or get on trains. Yeah, I've and always heard of it's like a week. You stop the food trucks and the and the fuel trucks. Within a week, we erode into like like basically street law <laughs> you know like we all of a sudden it's the walking dead right <laughs> is that but you said two weeks it kind of took <laughs> yeah so there was enough of certain things for people to, yeah, to yeah. get some things but like people weren't able to go from you know oxford to london to get to work people like it was just facet like everyone was on their bikes now lots of people are on their bikes anyhow and i'm like i'm always on my bike doesn't affect me, blah, 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 right? And it was August, September, so it wasn't cold. Yeah, but it, like, it, a bike ride it, today would be a bit greasy. <laughs> yeah, you need some fat tires. Um, you do, yeah, some studded tires for sure. <laughs> and, but it was fascinating because, like, I saw the country ground to a halt. And, and that was temporary. Like, you could actually turn it back on if the government was like, okay, this is an emergency, this is done, we're, we're you know. But, and so people who have this view that, we just need to stop now. It's not physically possible. Not if you want society to keep working, right? And so, well, even the joke about that bike you just referenced—what th that bike's built out of certain things, right? Like we got to be exactly. so careful with this slippery line run. I'm going to ride my bicycle. That's way better. Okay, but you still need some petroleum. Like you need energy. You need like there's a smelt somewhere. There's like, anyways, uh, you know, it, it unpacks and it unravels on itself really, really quickly. But back to I'm going to make progressively better and different choices that are better for the environment that I live in. That's where I love transition. But ultimately, the goal is to transform. Which, yeah, I'm playing on those two as as a as a as a linear path that doesn't have any straight lines. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Oh, such an I, I knew we were going to have an interesting chat. I, don't <laughs> don't 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 threaten me with a good conversation because I'll be there right. I'll be there straight away. Uh, ESG, a, a catchy buzzword, a fantastic new acronym, an evolution of greenwashing. Um, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, maybe let's start even breaking them apart. Like, I, I get it. I love you can't turn anywhere without running into, into you know, environmental, social, and governance. Environmental always made sense to me. And it just felt like, oh, well, we've already been, you know, my wife's worked on the gas 20 years. We're, they're doing a lot of things. The social and the government sometimes, I even, I still kind of wonder what they actually mean. And I'll, I always like to put my ignorance out there, just in case my audience doesn't 100% clear either. Can, can you be our expert and give us a definition of uh, specifically the, the S and the G? But sure, what, maybe do them all. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to, you know, be patient and let me take a step back. So I, I don't know why ESG, other than humans like quick, easy things, I don't know why ESG has become synonymous to sustainability, because it's not. 
Mm. Like sustainability okay. I like, is. I like, I like where this is going right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to challenge, challenge where most people are getting excited about right now. So sustainability is the big picture. It is, you know, so the official, the official Brundtland report, 1987, um, what is sustainable development? It is the ability to meet today's needs without taking away the ability of future generations to meet their needs. That's kind of a paraphrasing. That is, that's the, like, if you want to think about sustainability, you can do it at a personal level as well in terms of self-actualization. But it is about, hey, we all need the same things. Let's make sure what I do is not impeding on your ability or on my grandchildren's ability to get what they need to live a prosperous, healthy life, right? Um, So sustainability is about the whole enchilada. All of how we interact with our physical systems, our environment, and each other. Uh, and our, uh, the economics that sustain our, our lives. Okay, ESG, Environment, Social, and Governance, they are components of what an organization needs to consider and report on. They are, they are what drive financial reporting, what drives, you know, are you doing a good job working with your people, your communities? Are you doing a good job in terms of paying attention to how you're having an impact on um, the environment in all the different ways. And governance is all about, all about how transparent are you? Who's saying, who's responsible for communicating what? Who gets to make decisions on what? So ESG is more about how you run your ship, how transparent you are about running your ship, and what are your goals for doing better about running your ship. But it's very much related to an organization and not the bigger picture of what does sustainability mean in terms of our human existence on the planet and how we interact with our physical systems and the ways in which we have continually decimated them for thousands of years. Um, <laughs> and let's please try to do better. Um, Caroline, so pe- I never worry that you're not gonna tell me what you really think or feel. <laughs> That's why I like talking to fellow Quebecers because they'll always tell you straight up like what's going on. <laughs> uh, you, you suck that in very nicely, but I do appreciate the like sustainability, the bigger picture and future gener- and living in the future, which humans are notoriously terrible at. People like just look at even saving for the future. What does that mean? When's the future? How much should I save? Well, geez, but I want this thing today. Uh, let alone like not not using resources that then will somehow impede your grandchildren's life. Versus ESG as a reporting and you know governance structure unto it into itself in organizations to lean up against sustainability as the bigger broader topic. That to me really helps. If if, I, if my paraphrase back was right or if I missed it, yeah, please correct. yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, but mm. people use ESG mm. now as interchangeable with sustainability and it's and that's just human nature again like terminology language right esg it's quick it's it feels like you know it's it's active and like it's it's an acronym we love acronyms and the acronym and the acronym allows for i'm not i'm not uh accusing anyone for this but i will often wonder about if you use an acronym there's malleability in what you mean by it Clearly, because there's so many. Have we weaponized it in media, um, in I, reporting, in financial, in investing? Yeah, good, good question. Have we weaponized it? I don't think we've weaponized it. I think it's just the flavor of the month. Just yeah. sexy. It's sexy. Yes. Which hey, I'm a marketer. I like a good. I like a good buzz term. I like a good. Eye. Is it creating? If we fast forward to the future that you talk about, that you live in around sustainability and what you do as an organization. It's sexy, but and is it moving us in the right direction? 
is it going to get us more to a sustainable future in, in, in just breaking those two things apart? Um, it helps. Like if, if, if it catches people's attention, if it means that more boards, more C-suites, more executives, more everyone is paying attention because it's what everyone's talking about. Yeah. And, and it causes change it causes action it causes commitment that's fine i'm, I'm like it, it could be called you know purple and if it did all those things this yeah, matter to me right and sustainability doesn't feel like it has the same financial weighting or leverage or uh, it's got some power to it because of the way it, the role it plays in the investing world and money's money and follow the money and if the money stops going in a certain direction things change to try to get that back or they just don't mm -hmm. So it's funny because, so like people, you know, people attach different meaning to words, even though there is a, there is a, some standard definition somewhere, right? Like if you talk to some people and they go sustainable development, that means I will have like good access to capital to continue developing this type of thing, oil sands, bridges, roads, mm. buildings. And, and I will be able to have sustainable growth, blah, blah. Like it means something different to all kinds of people yeah and so right now esg you know again as being used strategically for sustainability but it is very much like we need to do better on e and s and g and and if that drives more action that's great will it evolve to something else probably well of course it because it, it has it has already evolved to what it is and it will evolve to something else it's always uh, some it's a concept i love the end of history phenomenon when you ask someone, you know, how much do you expect to change in the next 10 years? Like, no, no, I'm pretty much who I am. I've arrived. But you say, well, wait a second. How much have you changed in the last 10 years? Oh, my God. <laughs> 10 years ago, I was an idiot. Don't even talk to me about 10 years ago, me. But yet we kind of feel like we've always arrived at a moment. Like, so, oh, we're in this moment. Will it change? Absolutely. Will it evolve? Hopefully for the, for the quote unquote better, if you want to ladder it back to the bigger, broader future generations concept. But, you know, we always think we've arrived as humans. Like, well, no, we're here. We've, we've learned all the things. No, we've, we've just learned all the things for today. <laughs> There's new things to learn tomorrow. Um, yeah. So, can you define the S for me? The social. Yeah, for sure. That's the one um, I struggle. That's the one I struggle with the most to really understand what it actually means. Why do you? Okay, why? Because do you environmental, with I can wrap my head around it. I'm like, oh, environmental, I get it. I've seen it. I've been around it. I've lived in Alberta. I've like had lots of conversations about it. Governance, I've been exposed to organizations and what governance looks like. So I kind of have what I think those. But social, in the reference to this, I'm not sure how to frame it. Okay. So, so if you think about a company, right? So um, it, it can be a different type of organization, but at a company level, the things that they're thinking about in terms of social are internal and external, right? So when they think about internal, they think about you know health and wellness of their um, of their employee base. They think about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Which has become a lot more. Um, sort of prominent in the last few years across the board, uh, you know, pay and promotion equity, which I think is part of the equity kind of conversation. Um, they think about, you know, safety, prevention, especially, you know, uh, where we live, right? You, I remember pre-COVID going into face-to-face -face meetings um, with many organizations and you start with a safety moment. Um, uh, Making sure people get home safe, basically. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and so it's, it is, what is the, what are the aspects of the people that you have working for you, that you engage, that you need to think about that 
is about the long-term well-being of them and it be, and that contributes to the long-term well-being of your business as well. And then the external part is also around your customers, your stakeholders, your communities, right? So how are you engaging with your customers? How are you listening to them? Now, I mean, you should be listening to them if you want to have a business, but there are <laughs> if you, ways. If you, want, if you want to have future customers, it tends to go hand in hand, I find. It right? tends to go hand in hand, but they are far more savvy customers now out there than yes. there might have been 20, they're, 30 they're years ago. Considerably for, more informed and they have considerably more access to information. You're not the keeper of the information they need anymore. <laughs> exactly. You're and just so, one of. Okay. Yeah. And so on the social side, you need to think about that. You also need to think about the communities in which you operate and the stakeholders mm -hmm. whom you depend on to maintain your business. Well, that social and, license, license to operate falls right in there. Mm -hmm. That's right. So those are the aspects yeah. of social sustainability that are part of uh, standard reporting or standard practice in terms of you've got to think through all these things, especially coming out of COVID. Um, there's been a massive shift in expectations of mm -hmm. employees. And we've seen in our practice people being much more aware and, you know, wanting to better understand what they should be doing in this space of ESG. From a quantitative qualify, uh, qualitative perspective, when you think of ESG as a, as a measurement framework and a reporting framework, are you also seeing changes in mindset, changes in culture, changes in the way companies actually think about, I'll just pick diversity, equity, inclusion versus, no, look, we have six out of 10 people that represent minority groups, we're good, versus why we're doing it to actually get different thought processes, to get different perspectives, to be more competitive because we have different people in the room, whether that's gender or nationality or whatever diverse background. Are you seeing that we're actually embracing it now as if we do these things, we actually are gonna be more competitive, have a stronger competitive advantage versus meeting some KPI checklist somewhere. Yeah, I'm just gonna add to your statement at the beginning Please. about your, uh, you know, a reporting framework. It is also a practice framework, right? You, you're, okay. you're reporting on how you behave as a corporation, right? So uh, it's, it's not just a reporting, it's what are your policies, what are your procedures, and how do you actually act? So do I see a difference? Um, so, I mean, it started pre-COVID, like pre-COVID, um, there, yeah, it's been going on for years. It's just been increasing in terms of of understanding and um, integration and and reporting because of of greater activity. Uh, do I see a difference? Yes. I mean, not everyone across the board is um, uh, implementing the same things around diversity inclusion or have the same opportunities to bring on board uh, a, a wider diverse set of, of people, um, workers, partners, et cetera. Uh, diversity of thought has an impact on quality, 100%. Diversity of experience, diversity of perspectives. So it's it has an impact. It's just, it's not a turn it on, turn it off kind of thing, right? <laughs> it takes a while to get there. 
Well, it, 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 that's, and thank you, because that's what I was pivoting at. Like, if you shift your mindset, things just become the way because that's what you believe versus that awkward phase. Like, oh, we need to be different. We need to do things in a different way. It's easy to slip back. We all have our grooves and our patterns. So do organizations. Like, yes. <laughs> organizational habits run deep. Of Well, this is what the policy says, but this is actually how we do things around here. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about is the difference between those two. Yeah. You sit back and watch how people, you know, you're, you're new to a company or even as you come in as a vendor, and you're like, oh, this is who we are. And then the first week you're like, well, that's not seemingly how you act. Like, and that happens all the time <laughs> versus what an organization actually believes and is in their DNA versus maybe what they stick on the, on, on, on the wall. Good old mission, 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 mission values. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, sure. that's why I was curious if you're seeing more companies like, no, no, this is just the right way to do it because we also see it as a competitive advantage. We see it as a way to keep us competitive and stay as close to those customers as you can by listening to what they, they care about and then, giving, and then giving them something just slightly better than that. And you've, you've got it and you've got customers now. Um, carbon tax, carbon credits, carbon capture, carbon in general, how we treat it and seems to be commoditizing it in an interesting way. I got to throw this in. I can't talk to you for 30 minutes without bringing this up right at the end. Because I'm like, everything, yes. yeah, like, come on, it's everywhere and it gets thrown around and people get mad about it and we're not doing this and carbon tax is that and it's helping us, it's hurting us. And like gas prices are going up. Uh, it's, we could do a whole episode just on that. Yes. And so I would thought I would just, you know, just lob it out at 42 minutes in just to see what you want to say about it. <laughs> carbon everything. Yeah. So you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. So I'll, I'll take the two different sides of it. Um, okay. uh, so it's, I find it fascinating, you know, the world, the, again, you and I are talking a lot about words, but the framing that we use for carbon, you know, it and, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the carbon war room, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yes. Right. So, like we're made up of carbon <laughs> like there's carbon everywhere in the natural world right yeah there's just we we we've it's a useful molecule and with other molecules it has generated a large amount of wealth for us in terms of making our lives easier uh, more productive uh, access to lots of things we just have a surfeit of it now in the atmosphere okay um and the the, the atmosphere that's given us the ability to live here because it traps in oxygen and heat and all those wonderful things and the cycle mm -hmm. of water. Uh, we're now dumping way too much of this thing called greenhouse gases and carbon being the largest one. Okay. Of um, So what we're trying to do, because we've been doing it willy-nilly for so long um, and not directly paying for it, we're trying to internalize that external cost, right? So the classic economics, you know, trying to bring in externalities into your everyday life. Uh, and it's going to be painful because um, we've put an awful lot into the atmosphere and we still use a lot of carbon and other greenhouse gases. Yeah, we're not stopping that process. Like, we're still doing it. Mm -hmm. We're still doing it. We're looking, we're, we've started trying to replace the things that emit a lot of it. You know, if you look at renewables, uh, and efforts around uh, bio-based um, fuels for our internal combustion engines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we haven't given the right price single yet for us to stop doing it at a large scale, right? Those are coming. They, we've put goals. So if you're going to go to cap carbon capture, we've put goals on certain sectors that mean that if those sectors are going to have a, the time frame in which they are looking to to transition and transform, that to stop having the the amount of emissions going up into the atmosphere, they got to do something else with it, and that's right. where we're going to capture it and stuff it underground. Um, 
Western sedimentary basin is ideal for this activity. We know, we know what it looks like. We've been in it long enough. We know we can put stuff down there and keep it there. Um, and so that's why we're moving to carbon capture. Now, we've been talking about carbon capture for 30 years. Right. Like, this is not a new concept. We've, we've been using floods in our oil production, you know, enhanced oil recovery for, for decades. Um, but we haven't had the price signal to make it happen at the scale that will have the kind of impact we're looking for in terms of reducing the amount of emissions that go in the air. So carbon, <laughs> we're, we're gonna see higher prices. We're gonna see those higher prices in on energy stay and therefore higher prices for everything that energy touches stay as well. Um, I mean, I won't, you know, I won't quote the, the the data. I'm not a numbers person, but there's a there's a Manitoba professor, Vaclav Smil, who writes a, basically a book a year. Who wrote about energy economics and his thesis and data is all about there isn't a single economic transaction without an energy input, mm-hmm. and therefore, if we are increasing the cost of energy because we're pricing in the greenhouse gases that come with that energy, everything's going to be more expensive. Pricing it in under the mindset that 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 dollar amount is thing forcing us to make those choices that we just haven't been financially spirited to make to this point. Yeah. Which then run the risks back to our E, S, and G, back to our S, the wealth gap, the like that puts pressure in from a society standpoint in a whole other like way. Which is why you know around the world we've been talking about just transition. Well, along with this, right? Yeah. So, so there is inequality in society to begin with. There are inequities, um, and fortunately in Canada, you know, there is a system where we try to even those things out and give some equal access to things. We still have people on the streets, mm-hmm. um, and we have all kinds of other inequities. So, in the energy transition and transformation, what is just? What do we have to think about? And that ranges everything from what are the impacts, right? So you, I mean, I, I, I won't put words in our federal government's mouth, but when Freeland, uh, Minister Freeland, you know, did her economic update and said, okay, there's inflation, it's here to stay, it's come down from 8.1, 6.9, it's still gonna be here to stay, it's impacting our, you know, lowest income brackets in society. We're going to advance payments in order to support that. How much of that is because we're also increasing our carbon tax? Mm-hmm. Like this is a reality that's here to stay. Um, there's that. There's if we're you know if we're looking to to transform energy, move off of fossil fuels in time. What happens to all the people who work in those sectors? Mm-hmm. And then. What's the reality of, okay, Canada is wealthier. It's going to have an impact. We're all going to be paying more, but we have better access to resources to deal with a transformational change and still maintain quality of life. What about the rest of the world? I mean, what's, where's, the, where's the discrepancy between what we have and have access to and the impacts of saying to other countries, you can't use that coal anymore. So don't worry about not having electricity. It's not important for you to go to school or important for you to do any manufacturing. From a place of abundance, it really skews your view of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure it does. And I mean, and we're used to what we have. So saying- I've I've grown quite fond of most of it. (laughs) Well, yeah, because 
it's comfortable. It's fun. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's what all the things that we have in life, we are very blessed. We tend to forget it, right? It's easy to forget it. And most of the rest of the world don't have anything near what we have. Yes, all eight, all, all eight billion of us, as as of like I think yesterday was the official. Really? <laughs> yeah, we did. We hit eight billion people yesterday. Yeah. Da barnac. Wait, da barnac, c'est vrai. Wait, wait. Exactly. So, well, we're getting all getting all super heavy at the end of the podcast. Like, well, no, I, this is certainly not designed to be a downer of an episode, but it's a heavy topic, and there's so much. And I think you and I can talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And I, I see a part two if if you'll if you'll ha- if if you'll allow me to invite you back, because we're, we're we're pushing up against an hour here. We've covered a lot of territory. I threw a lot of things at you by the some of the slight eye rolls and the heavy breathing. I I, I think we've tested some nice territory and I certainly appreciate your passion and the clarity and how much time you spent in this space and, you know, walking away, really understanding some of the differences and words do matter. They really matter. And the media, (laughs) I'm a marketer. We use words all the time. Media loves to throw it around. It loves to, like you said, what creates a hook, what creates a headline, what creates a, you know, the the word weaponize. We've, the media tends to try to weaponize everything just as a, a, as a general concept and, and pit us one side versus the other. But man, we're in this together. You can't really, nothing has ever really been more true when you say we're all in this together. (laughs) We're all riding around on this big ball of, you know, uh, of whatever, of gases uh, together. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard to say, well, we're going to stop at our border and do this thing. But you over there, you have to do this other thing. It doesn't really work that way when you look at the sum of the parts, right? <laughs> That's right. Like, so for me, you know, uh, this has always been what I wanted to work on for, and I, I, I know the reasons for me, but the, the part of the reasons of what I do now is, uh, Alberta is not where I grew up. It is my adoptive province. Um, and I want my teenage daughters to have the option of choosing to stay here if they want to and have good quality, you know, hmm. jobs and livelihoods that they can continue to enjoy what, what we've enjoyed to date. And so part of the work I do is I think Alberta can get there. I, I'm still optimistic to bring it back to, to the beginning Tyler, I am optimistic. Like we have ingenuity, we have wealth and resources to begin with, we have opportunity, we've been investing in the right things to diversify our economy. I am optimistic. Not only because there's evidence for being so, but we have no choice but to be optimistic. Necessity is the mother of all innovation. You're right, we're, we're, we couldn't be better positioned. We have the luxury to have the ability to make those changes, right? Mm-hmm. So let's keep at it. Let's do I it. I could not agree more. Delphi.ca, go check out the website. You guys have lots of great content on here. Some stuff on green retrofits and the leading up to a podcast, I get to know a lot about my people talking to. So I've been reading all your stuff. I'm reading all your reports. Uh, Great resource. You guys have some very rich resources on here. Some good information for people to kind of wade through and really understand. I'll be blunt. What, 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 if you don't know, if you know what it means and you want more information, it's great. But if you're not even sure what some of these terms are, go and got to start reading. Just go down the rabbit hole, be willing to be confused. But I love your website because you guys seem to have a balanced, just well-written and good, good content on there and if someone yeah, wants to get a hold of you oh sorry go yes. ahead no go ahead well so i mean like we did a bit on the esg and sustainability there is an abc of esg abc's of esg <laughs> abc's report. of esg's yeah i downloaded this i downloaded it early this morning you were my early morning coffee read actually <laughs> <laughs> and 
I, just I know. I know how to start right? my day off right. 100%. There you go. ABCs. You gotta, it's like Sesame Street. This is how I yeah. start my day. Yes. <laughs> yes. Always go back to the basics if nothing else fails. So Delphi.ca. If people want to get a hold of you, is there a, is it LinkedIn? Do you have a preferred if anyone's just like, I, I just got to talk to Caroline more, which I highly recommend. Is there any preferred format for people to get a hold of you through your site or through LinkedIn? Or what do you, what do you love? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is great. Um, that's always a, a good place because then we all get to know each other on an equal footing, yes. right? Oh, nice, well said. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it does. It's, yeah. it's a de- I mean, I understand the platform, but it's a democratizing platform in terms of I get to see you, you get to see me. Hey, yeah, okay, let's chat. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's the one social media platform that you don't kind of feel dirty after using, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did I just spend 15 minutes on Instagram wasting my life? What is going on here? But no, LinkedIn is for business. I feel very productive when I go on LinkedIn. But that's that's my own demons, but we'll deal with that another time. <laughs> Carol Ann, amazing chatting with you. Love our conversations. So good getting to know you. Thank you for being my expert on the spot today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. This has been great fun. 